Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, the Crypto Hipster, Jamil Hassan, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, artists, musicians, you name it, all over the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, actually today and the summer season, I am bringing to you a new compilation episode. Last year, from seasons one, two, and three, I brought you the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. And now, from season four and five, without further ado, I bring you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And what that is, and what it was last year, and what it is this year, it's a compilation. It's a compilation of three or four podcasts together as like a montage. And on a certain topic or area of interest in crypto and blockchain, pulling from my podcasts. And now, as we're heading to the summer of 2023, I bring to you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And there's going to be 22 or 23 or 24 around their episodes. And I look forward to you looking forward to it. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for, for enjoying my podcasts. And this is going to be a summer treat for everybody. So please sit back, enjoy, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. This is Crypto Hipsters Mysticals, episode 22, the Mysticals finale. Episode 22 is entitled, Our Global Social Financial and Economic Future is decentralized. This Crypto Hipsters Mysticals episode is a a compilation of five Crypto Hipster podcasts from seasons four and five. The following guests are clips from their original podcasts. Four or five minute clips include starting first is Sean Lee, who is the co-founder and executive director at Odyssey Foundation. Tommy Johnson is the founder of Sci-Fi DAO. Joshua Kagan is the co-founder and CEO of Bonfire. Then Akash Mahendra is the director of Haven One Foundation. Finally, Pedro Isaac Lopez is the chief growth officer at Thor Wallet Dex. This has been a wonderful compilation in the season of Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. I hope you enjoy this final episode. Thank you for tuning in. I want to go back to the, something you said earlier, talking about bridges, right? And you and I both come from the data database world, right? What do you see as the role of these Oracle networks in, in having a, um, a role in helping to create trust in the industry and bridge those gaps? Uh, maybe I'll answer it this way, right? Uh, if we look at how, how the world works, uh, you know, obviously here in Hong Kong, we have the Hong Kong dollar, you know, and, and you have the U.S. dollar, you have Japanese yen, Canadian dollar, and so on and so forth. Every single country or economy has its own native currency, 
these currency require some standardized ways to value where they are against each other. Otherwise, you know, you can always, you know, you can say your, your currency is value at whatever, but like, you know, who, who, who's actually going to go buy into that? There has to be some industry recognized market driven way to value things in a hopefully very transparent manner. Now, the reason I'm saying that is every chain has its native token and many other tokens minted on top of it. You do need all services like, or, you know, oracles to be able to value where they are. And again, bring some uh, consistency around how each one of these are being valued, and 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 especially from from a perspective of transfer of value, all of, obviously that becomes very very critical. So so I think Oracle services, um, you know, will continue to be there. Oracle services probably needs a little bit more consolidation, to be honest, um, because you do see a lot of the discrepancies uh, being offered from you know one ecosystem to another. So some level of standardization uh, is is very much needed, but on the on the bridging side, again, just just kind of going back to you know your roots and my roots, right? Like I, I look at bridges and I'm like, well, you know, 20 years ago we call that EDI, right? Electronic Data Interchange, right? Uh, you have A system, B system, three system, they're all proprietaries, and you need to exchange data from one, one another. Uh, you need to build these EDI, right? Um, and and then very quickly you, you you they become completely unmanageable because there's different versions of the same system that also need different version of the EDI chain you know, the the interchange that you're building. I, I'm sorry, I don't want I don't want to make uh, make make myself sound very old, but that's the world I come from, right? And then you eventually move to a world where EDI becomes more like a messaging bus. So there's some standardization. Everybody's just plug into the same message bus, and now you're able to communicate and pass along the data, you know, together. And then move move forward, uh, you know, a little bit more. You go from messaging bus, which still have some, dare I say, the the centralization aspect, right? Because there's still a messaging bus, right? You you need that to basically hold everything. Um, so we then start to evolve into this state uh, stateful and stateless way of communicating and passing messages. So on and on and on and on. So I think in the electronic information exchange aspect. We've already gone through 20 to 30 years of evolution, and we've got we've gotten it very, very good now, right? Everything from your standardized email to communication to messaging apps to system level uh, communications and data bids and transfer and all of that. In blockchain, we haven't really gone gone through that yet, right? We're we're still in the infancy of passing both messages or communication and value from one chain to another, one ecosystem to another. And I think Bridges is like version 1.0 in regards to our way of doing that today. The, the 1.0 is needed before you can get to 2.0 and 3.0 and 4.0. So I'm not here to say Bridges are bad. I'm just saying this is just the beginning phases of how some of these things are being done. We need to also make sure that the way how Bridges are built have some standardized notion to it, some consistency. We also need to make sure that these bridges, when they're rolled out, they're not just rolled out for the sake of getting rolled out. They're also getting rolled out with some security audits and some very specific, you know, cyber kind of notion in mind, so that they don't fail as much as they do today. So it is growing pain uh, for a new industry and a new paradigm on doing things. Uh, it is not easy, but you know, it's a necessary step. So, you know, in time, once we have more standardization around how prices, price discoveries are being done, 
um, and how Oracle services from different ecosystems need to really talk to each other, and then how bridges, bridging from one application to another or one chain to another um, are starting to be more standardized, then I think we're, we're gonna get to that point where people feel more comfortable exchanging value from one to another. Like we're starting to see some innovation in that space, but we're not really there yet. And, and what Odyssey is, 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 is uh, solving isn't that entire picture, right? We, we don't claim to do that at all, what, but at least we want to solve that problem where even from an access perspective, it's very fragmented. So we can start to bring that access control together, make it very standardized, make it very templated uh, from that perspective, that at least that's one aspect of doing it. And then there needs to be other technology and innovation and capabilities from other founders and other projects so we can really bring all of these together in a, you know, as we come out of this cycle. There are web there are web three alternatives, like you said, options. And there's other things too, right? So what are those some of those other things? And how can we onboard the next million, hundred million people, you know, to be to to participate in web three? Um and DeFi, how do, how do we do that? What are your thoughts on that? I think a lot of it comes down to the, the risk-adjusted yield, right? And I think if we're focusing on, like, I like DeFi, but I'm also a gamer, so I like GameFi, so, but I'm gonna focus on like the DeFi perspective of, of it right now. Um, and the biggest thing with like crypto is it's at a global scale. I think we've seen a lot of people exit DeFi with interest rates going higher and whatnot, but I think as we build more sustainable yield or sustainable um, products based on real world tokenization of real world assets and things like that, and, and bringing accessibility to those kinds of markets or bringing additional liquidity to those kinds of products, that is what uh, we'll get a lot more people interested in. I think we're in this weird point where there's not a lot of clarity on what's a security what's not we're seeing a lot of law come down by uh you know just by case by case basis rather than actual clarity and i think once we get that clarity it'll open up a lot more avenues for real estate backed yields and you know uh just like you see with nfts right a a, a, a property could be considered an nft but you could fractionalize that and and have ownership if you register it as a security and distribute yield. I think a lot of that is just not technical challenges given where we are with the technicals of blockchain and ecosystems, but really regulatory hurdles and regulatory challenges. So I think once we get clarity on that um, and growth on that front, there's a lot that will open up. I wasn't gonna ask you about GameFi. But you know, do you? <laughs> but you're in game. But you, you know, um, gaming is a huge thing across the world in crypto. You know, um, it's massive, oh. and and people don't. A lot of people don't play games. They don't realize that yet. What should they know, and how do they earn, um, and how do they get involved? The biggest thing is really about digital asset ownership, and and then just like having the ability to plug in with DeFi and have free markets on those uh, those assets is what opens up a whole world of you know new possibilities you imagine like you have this centralized fortnite store where you're buying skins and whatnot but 
you can now have this decentralized store where people are creating skins and swapping them and selling them and plugging into games or you know maybe this centralized plus a decentralized where the the game developer is controlling the skins and the game assets but you can move them out of the game to go sell them on some order book or some auction house or something like that and where you have like the world of warcraft auction house which is like separated by server to server the blockchain can now be this global uh this like global unification of those auction houses and now you have liquidity you know a single source of liquidity across all game servers and you're not fragmenting that liquidity and people can get access and assets in and out of one server or another which i think is like very cool so you break down you so one of the things that you do well is you break down traditional real estate investing barriers here in the u.s but how about you know over the years a lot of a lot of foreigners have bought a lot have bought real estate in the u.s right how do you help those who want to invest here or who are outside the U.S. or those who are in the U.S. who want to look and start like building, you know, investments overseas? How do you how do you break down those geographic barriers as well as the you know learning barriers? When we launched our MVP, our minimum viable product at the end of last year, which consisted of a, an asset outside of Charlotte and that we tokenized and we each token was thirty one dollars. I have to say the most rewarding thing or one of the most rewarding things as a founder and CEO of this project was the number of people who spontaneously wrote on Twitter or on Discord, hey, I'm an, an economist in Argentina or I'm a cab driver in Jaipur, India, you know, and I now own real estate in the US of A, right? Oh, like I, I never thought I'd own real estate in the US. And you look at some of these countries, my wife is from Turkey, okay? We got married 12 years ago. When we got married, it was $1.50, sorry, 1.5 lira to the dollar. Two months ago, it was 18 lira to the dollar, okay? Today, it's 27 lira to the dollar, right? So if you had your money in lira, you've lost, I don't know what the math is off the top of my head, 95% of your purchasing power, right? But being able to park your money in a safe and trusted way outside the US in a totally legally compliant manner through platforms like Bonfire, I think is a game changer for the rest of the world. I really do. To your question about looking at it the other way around, how can Bonfire help projects outside the US? We're getting approached, not daily, but almost daily about projects in Dubai, Nicaragua, I mean, literally like all over the world. Um, you know, we're very, very, very judicious in the projects we do. We, we do a lot of due diligence on the sponsor. We do background checks on them. We do, um, we, we walk the sites, we, you know, we, we make sure that the asset, the business plan makes sense. We don't just look at the numbers of, of the sponsors give us, we independently stress test them, make sure that the assumptions are validated, you know, because anyone can make a, a spreadsheet look good, right? But like, do the numbers really check out from an independent perspective? And we just haven't been able to get comfortable with some of these other jurisdictions and under, you know, and frankly, we haven't spent the time and money to understand the intricacies of their securities laws and things of that nature. But a lot of the actors that we that have brought us deals, I just haven't had the professional rigor and, and maybe they're used to getting money quicker from other people. I don't know, but they just haven't met our standards. So we're not going to ever put anything on the platform 
that we don't believe in. And in one of the ways that we're very different than some of the other crowdfunding real estate sites out there, I think this is actually really important to know. And it plays into your question about in, 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 uh, international projects is like all of our competitors, as far as I know, get paid by sponsors or operating, like, like if someone is raising money for a real estate project and they go to you know our competitor platforms, those competitors are getting a commission, a, li a listing fee and a success fee for successfully placing the money. We don't, because we don't want to have a conflict of interest. We don't want to have to feel like we have to put substandard projects on our platform, right? They have to be good enough that we'd want to invest ourselves into them, right? So some some someone from the Middle East who could have a huge project and, and say, oh, well, we'll give you a 5% commission to put it on the Bonfire platform. It's like, no, that's not our business model. Sorry. Like we have to actually want to invest in it. And for us to want to invest in it, we have to feel very comfortable about the group who's putting it together, the entity structure, the local laws, the actual piece of real estate, the other types of real estate in that market, you know, the demand drivers, what other supplies coming online. I mean, there's a lot that goes into putting a project on our platform. So we haven't found anything that's passed our muster yet, internationally yet. I got to talk about that um, because two of the biggest, you know, I mean, actually you can even say three of the biggest, um, you know, busts from 2022. And I mentioned Celsius uh, and, and then FTX. And um, maybe three AC. These were CEOs. People had no criminal background. Like they were entrepreneurs. They were business. They were successful people. They had no malicious background. Like so they were. They probably, probably would have passed any KYC, right? Yeah. And still, you had the fraud and maliciousness, right? That occurred. Why? Like, why do you think that is? <laughs> or, or. You know, and how can how can Haven one ensure your own compliance as well for users to ensure like is it greed or is it just like something that happens or is it just getting making the ecosystem so big and you don't have the proper risk management? Like what you know, how could you turn a great citizen into a criminal? You know? Oh. It it is super bizarre. I, I think maybe just I mean Mashinsky was I mean, committing clear fraud. He was he was trading and uh, asking people to deposit funds in Celsius when they were clearly insolvent, which is a uh, you know goes against his uh, own duties as a director and um, CEO of the company. Um, so you know that that's I think he maybe he was in a very dire uh, <laughs> dire situation. Uh, not probably not probably not thinking straight. Um, I can't comment to a state of mind, but I think it just seemed very desperate as to what he was doing, trying to um, trade his way, his uh, their own way out of out of trouble. So in terms of what Celsius had left over, um, yeah. Look again, it's um, I think people lose themselves in crypto, um, like you said, Jamal. It's a lot of greed, perhaps for a lot of um, arrogance, um, a lot of ego. These people, like a lot of the uh, the founders, go through. Um, you, you never. We have a. We have like you know. We we talk about it internally a little bit, a bit of chunk tongue in cheek, but. You never want to be the main figure in crypto. You don't. You never want to be the uh, be the guy who's like the limelight because you always get taken down. Like like Do Kwon was the main figure for a long time. He brought a lot of attention to himself. Gets gets taken out. Same with Mashinsky. Same with um Avi. You know the, the guy who um, 
did the, uh, I think it was a mango markets hack. He was uh, talking a lot, lot about like how he flash loaned and he was kind of bragging about it a lot. He became the main figure in crypto for a while. Um, so anyone who's got the, uh, you know, the central figure syndrome and the main figure syndrome always gets taken down. So it's always good to keep a lower profile than, than most people. Um, you know, there's some good actors in the space, like such as um, Sam K from the Frax. And of course, people like Kobe, they, they don't really put themselves in the, in, in the, uh, in, in the limelight as much. Um, I mean, it, as much as, you know, Do Kwan's or the, the Mashinsky's and whatnot. So yeah, it, it's just, I think, I think things aren't going to change anytime soon because I'm sure the next run is going to bring uh, very similar people over as well. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we can hope for the best though. So in terms of, yeah. how you even ensure your own compliance. Yeah, so just a little bit of background. We've been running Yield App, which is a regulated, compliant, wealth, you know, digital wealth management platform for a number of years. Internally, we have a strong compliance team. We're all on top of all new legislation, such as Mika, Dora, and you know anything else that comes up. Uh, we constantly monitor all activity with you know on our user base and for anti-money laundering, CTF stuff, compliance, everything else. So. We're going to bring all of that to Haven One. Um, we've registered the Haven One Foundation under the Swiss jurisdiction, uh, and we're working with a num number of entities in Switzerland to create a home for our Haven One DAO. So as you're aware, Switzerland has a very strong reputation for regulation, and it has a very uh, flexible re legal frameworks for blockchain projects now. So the city of the Swiss city of Zug has um, developed into a world center of blockchain industry with like a huge number of institutions and crypto services based, based in the region. And it provides us with like a lot of opportunities to cooperate with them. To be frank, um, we could have chosen, <laughs> you know, we, we could have chosen a less stringent jurisdiction such as Cayman Islands or Bahamas or, or whatever, and essentially achieves the same outcomes for the foundation base at a, with, for a lesser cost and less regulatory oversight. But we made a very intentional decision to align ourselves with a reputable jurisdiction with a strong legal system because we want to make sure that all of our users and all of our all, 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 all the participants, all of our you know investors are kind of satisfied with um, our transparency. We want them to have confidence in what we're building and confidence in like you know the team itself. So we've made a very intentional decision to rest in Switzerland rather than you know one of the lesser legal jurisdictions, uh, if you could if you could say that. And one of the things that, like, if I take if I take like a month or two off, and I took a lot of the fall off, is I go from knowing a lot of what's going on in the area to not knowing like much at all because things move so fast. So I wanted to find out, you know, from you, what is the current global state of DeFi and governance too? And then um, with that, with the contagion that happened this past summer, where where's the DeFi? industry at right now and what do you see going on and what do you see as the future of it yes yeah, so i have a, a, a contrarian take on this because i feel 2022 was a great year for DeFi. yes prices went down significantly but in terms of the protocols themselves they performed very well so they weathered the storm of a massive bear market we saw like the stark differences between DeFi and centralized uh, options where like all these lending options, all these centralized options that were uh, uh, basically going bankrupt. And on the other hand, we saw DeFi working as expected. So over collateralized, none of the DeFi protocols went down uh, and uh, they just kind of worked as, as expected. So um, 
if anything, I feel that this bear market has accentuated the benefits of DeFi, so decentralization, openness, or collateralization. And in a way, it has shown that real economic value has been created for the first time. So before we had Bitcoin, but the first applications that uh, generate real economic value, like Aave, Compound, or Uniswap, were created recently from, from the, the, the recent DeFi, uh, DeFi wave. And I feel, yeah, when, with, uh, where we are right now is we kind of wash out a lot of the bad actors, um, also a lot of the bad setups. So companies that were under collateralized, selling, uh, offering services that were uh, loans that had no, um, no collateral, all of this has been wiped out. And from an investor perspective, this is of course quite bad, like people lost money and, and that's terrible. But from, from the technology perspective, like what has left and what has weathered the storm is, is uh, companies or are companies that are quite strong and are technologies also that are, that are showing their worth. So I feel that in that regard, um, DeFi will come back stronger and uh, volumes overall are down, but we still see economic uh, value creation on on these platforms of lending and borrowing. And uh, I think there's gonna be more, more applications that right now we don't, we don't have but that will come and will become quite big. The other part of that I think is when we talk about trust, I feel it's I, I, in, in one way, trust has been a bit damaged because of all these negative events that have happened, collapse of Luna, the collapse of FTX and so on, but Technology, it's still like it still is is there. So all these things were um, either bad, bad actors or in the case of uh, Luna, um, just people didn't care to to read how it worked, and then things uh, bad things happen. But um, I think trust will be regained. That's a, uh, some partly on on our side of uh, people that are working in crypto companies buildings building stuff to, to regain that trust. But at the same time, many other things are showing, hey, this is, uh, this, this is something that has proven itself to, to stay and to work in very uh, strong conditions and very difficult conditions. So I think DeFi is uh, looking brighter and also costs are going down. So we, we have a lot of competition now. So we will see and what is the, the best tech will win.